Before we get into part two of our look at critical power, I thought a quick reflection from our expert guest, soon to be Dr. Jason Bartram, was a good way to start the show. This reflection relates to any metric or performance model or anything in performance or life, really. And it's about knowing what is worth the effort to spend time on. And it starts by making a clear distinction between things that are cool, things that are like really interesting versus things that are actually impactful. That's, I guess, where I like to split it up. Like, does this actually change what I do in an applied setting? And does it change my practice and make a difference? If you challenge yourself on that first, it can stop you from going down rabbit holes of of things that are interesting and and cool. But yeah, maybe you don't need to go down it if it's not actually going to be impactful or change what you do day to day. So where does critical power sit in these distinctions? That's what we're going to find out today. Is it actually practical and useful or is it just cool? Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, the weekly podcast where a panel of scientists, pro cyclists and cutting edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance and science and all things cycling. The show is co-hosted by Cyrus Monk, who is a professional cyclist and cycling coach, Dr. Jason Boynton, who is a sports scientist and cycling coach, and then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. In this part two on critical power, we cover W prime and W balance. And even if these aren't new concepts to you, I know you'll get something out of this conversation. And there's a nice wrap up at the end with Jason JB's takeaway from studying it for six, seven, eight years, somewhere around there, including an idea of where he places it in his distinctions. And like I said in the last episode, his conclusions might surprise you. They sure surprised me. Next thing to talk about more specifically is just W prime. Right. People might think of it as an anaerobic capacity. I think you might have even kind of threw that label around in one of your papers, but it was a while ago, right? Yeah, so yeah. we actually have a more nuanced beliefs and considerations around W prime now. So yes, so Siri wax poetic on W prime. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's funny, I guess this is, I guess, as you noted, a lot of my experiences as a sports scientist are in the applied world, right? So mm-hmm. very much, uh, uh, I don't get as stuck on definitions as, as some people would. I'm more interested, you know, in how it's useful for us. But that being said, so so I'm fairly happy to throw around this label of anaerobic, at least when I talk about W prime, because essentially it's predominantly anaerobic contribution that makes it up. It's one of those things that's technically incorrect, that it's it's not hard and fast. W prime is not equal to anaerobic work capacity. When you're talking with the right people, critical power is aerobic and W prime is anaerobic, but I'm sure that will upset some people. Yeah, yeah. The the easiest way, I think the safest way to describe it and to not get yourself in trouble is that W prime describes the work capacity available above critical power. Mm -hmm. That's the safest way. You You give critical power the good definition and W prime is just what's left over. Yeah. If I'm understanding the research right, one of the studies that they did to kind of question that uh, that label of the anaerobic capacity was putting someone in a, into a hyperoxic environment so much more oxygen which saturated i think it would have saturated the blood plasma with more oxygen and what they demonstrated was critical power went up and it decreased w prime yeah but you would think if it was a anaerobic contribution that when the oxygen delivery increased, 
that that anaerobic capacity would still be there, mm-hmm. right? It wouldn't be subtracted into. So I think the argument has something along the lines of something that's aerobic in there that's not getting utilized under normal conditions, I think. So someone do that does basic physiology might come, around, come along and slap me in the head because <laughs> I'm not explaining it right, but this is kind of how, how I'm understanding it um, and why they kind of have it uh, not totally labeled as anaerobic capacity just like kind of anaerobic threshold isn't necessarily the anaerobic threshold but yeah for all intents and purposes one of the coolest things around w prime definition i think is is um that you can tackle it in two ways right you can talk about depletion so w prime being i guess the bucket analogy is quite popular and the depletion of that it's quite easy to understand but then in this search for physiological definitions of W prime, the other one that's been thrown out is about a buildup of, so buildup of metabolites to, to some kind of critical threshold or critical point that, that causes task failure. I'm curious, JB, how you would describe it to athletes. Yeah, I, I typically go a bucket mm-hmm. analogy for sure. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and definitely just use the, the athletes we, we deal with, anaerobic and aerobic, have been around their world enough that they, they know roughly what that means. Yep. Yep. Go Australia. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sports science culture here. Uh, yeah. Again, we've talked about that on the show. The, the athletes that come out of here pretty much have like a bachelor's degree in sports science, but it seems like by the time they leave for the, for the world tour to extend, or at least a diploma and hit, you know, like, but um, W prime comes along when you do your critical power calculation, they come hand in hand. But I think one thing that, I was reading was different models might get different critical power outputs. Different models might have different W prime outputs, even when you have the same inputs. And we talked about this a little bit before hitting the record button, but the amount of error, error, it's an ongoing joke here is that I can't pronounce error, 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 and W prime. What are your thoughts on that? So how much is there? So there's this with critical power. There's that. I don't think we mentioned there was that 5% above and below window that it can be at above and below. Well, and actually there's a, it's 5% variability. So it'd be like two and a half percent above and below. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Jason. So that's something that kind of important to think about with critical power. If your critical power comes out at 400 Watts, 200 Watts, there's still enough variability in the model and the physiology that's going on. You can't just say it's at that point, it might be above it or below it slightly. And so the same kind of concept in terms of W prime and similar with the error that you could have with critical power, what do you think the error that you would get for W prime is? Yeah, look, not not very. Um, mm. <laughs> it's probably the answer there. I was thinking mm-hmm. about how to, how to talk through this and tell you what, error gets in the way of a good story, doesn't it? Like... Uh, Mm, yeah, measurement yeah. measurement error just ruins ruins our life as being co- really cool applied sports scientists. Mm-hmm. So the thing that critical power in W prime, as we talked before, it's very robust at describing MMP for a duration. Right, how much net power or net work can you do over a period of time? So when you combine the metrics, they work really well together. When you try and split them apart, you get this variability, and we know you get a greater variability in your W prime measure than you do in your critical power. Mm-hmm. The thing to remember is that they're they're inversely related. And so what I mean by that is if you do your tests, if you go back to the linear model, just because I think it's easy, easy to describe, 
if you improve only your 10-minute power, it'll increase the slope, but it'll actually drop your W prime measure. Mm-hmm. And obviously we go, oh, that, that's a bit weird. That doesn't quite make sense. You know, I'm still doing this exact same power over shorter durations as I was before, but this model's telling me that I'm not as good in that in that domain. Yeah, so I guess I guess what I'm saying there is, uh, yes, when you go down to the specifics of the individual parameters, it gets a bit messy, but in terms of combined nature of those two parameters together, that's where the model is strongest and most robust. And one of the take-homes I'm getting is that once you start calculating your W prime and critical power in one way, in one manner, is probably good to stick to that model throughout. For reliability, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For validity, <laughs> so another thought that this actually was in one of Skiba's reviews, and he was talking about the issues that were with W prime. And a lot of times, if the listeners are going to Google and image searching this, the models and things that you're describing, they'll see this box that represents W prime in a graph and the curve and all that kind of stuff. And that box has these straight and well-defined borders. One way that might be better for the listeners to visualize it is there's the borders are a little bit thicker and fuzzy. <laughs> and that is not quite as well-defined as that as the diagrams would make you think it is, is defined. And so I guess the follow-up question for that is in WKO5, your FRC or functional reserve capacity is right up there. FRC is a analogous to W prime. That's their terminology for it, if I'm correct. But so they have that number up there and that thing changes. And again, we don't know how much error there is and we don't know how much it actually represents reality. And yeah, is they don't have like a plus or minus on it to kind of help you. Um, So thoughts, is it a good training metric? How much trust do you put into this? Oh, no, no. And then... So I recently presented, I guess, all, all my PhD research at what's called the Applied Physiology Conference, which is like mm-hmm. a get-together of all the physiologists in the, in the national sporting system. And got to the end of it and I was like, I kind of did this little pondering piece or reflection piece of how much my research had actually impacted my practice mm-hmm. in terms of what, what it had actually given me. What was the point of doing this over the last um, eight years? And and you know, I haven't really used this stuff directly in any way. Like, you know, there's components that you draw out and there's concepts that you use, um, but the, the the core model, no, no, you, uh, it doesn't actually have uh, as much practical utility as it does on paper where it makes a lot of sense. There's so much error in, in these metrics. Um, so, so no, I, I probably would not track W prime over a period of time and, and think that I'm making a big impact on it. Yeah, I think with things like that, I mean, there's a lot of metrics like that in endurance training and just sport in general and sports science where, you know, heart rate variability or training load measures are very, as the term we use here is, they're very wonky. Mm. But one of the arguments I've made with Paolo about training load modeling is it might not even be valid, but it's almost like I'd rather have that very, very dim flashlight give me something and realizing how bad of a light it is, as opposed to not having a light on at all. Sure. So for me personally, it, I think with a lot of these models, it's just not treating it like dogma or religion, and then just having this idea around how accurate it is, 
and then backing up what it says through other metrics. Mm. So I'm not really familiar with this world as much, but if you saw that W prime increased, I mean, what else would you expect in power data and durations of power, how the athlete felt, you know, anything like that. So that's kind of my argument for a lot of these things. And and I think with critical power and some of these other things, especially with the stuff that we'll get into with the W prime balance, uh, I, I've been a little bit cautious about it because I, I know how complicated the physiology is. And I'm like, I don't know how accurate that would be, mm. but I have to like kind of mean, stay consistent in my argument of, well, a bad light, even though if I know it's going to be not super, super accurate, is better than nothing. This one's like really powerful, but it just pulses on and off, just goes on and off all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to go go with your other dim one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we got some good analogies wrong here. That's good. Um, but so there's this new paper that came out 2021, really super recent. And I just wanted to kind of read off some of their findings because it was with elite road cyclists. And I'll get your thoughts on it. So I just took this directly out of their first paragraph of their discussion here. So they have a few findings. Versus all critical models provided significant different W prime and critical powers. So be cautious. We've said that. Yep, yep. B, uh, the second, the second um, one was no differences between critical power and respiratory compensation point for any model. So there is a, a representation of a physiological parameter there. That's good. I have some thoughts on that and we can bounce that back and forth. But the third was differences between models or compared respiratory compensation point were not clinically useful in the provision of training prescription or performance monitoring if the aim is to equal work rate at compensation point. Very similar to what you were saying. The fourth one is converting WMAX tests to work done in kilojoules was not significantly different to W prime using the nonlinear three model. So yeah, thoughts on that. That's pretty, that's pretty close to like what you were extrapolating off of your many years of research and practice. Is that pretty similar to what you would I've got to admit, I have not read this paper. Oh, yeah, that's um, fine. So it's 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 hard to take these points out of context yeah. and and oh yeah, and for sure, kind of understand them. Um, yep, yep. But uh, most research popping out at the moment, I, I feel like people are getting it together. Uh, but, you know, people have found that balance between what's real, what's not real, where where the historical research has misled us, uh, and, and I think it's all coming together pretty nice. The the other researcher, I don't know if you've read, but Peter Leo. Um, Mm. some of some of his work so he's just finished his thesis in in this area and, and i'd say it's it's some of some some of the best nice nice and then let's get into the usability of this stuff right so one of the biggest i think hurdles to get into using a lot of the stuff that you see in the literature is just the technology that's gonna be powering it and no pun intended so well how you said you didn't maybe necessarily use a lot of it in your in your practice but what do you think is a good way to approach it? We talk a ton about WKO5. We mentioned Golden Cheetah. And in the high performance world, are you get, I would imagine some of you guys are using developing spreadsheets, using R, Python maybe even for the higher level people. What are, what are your thoughts on getting people into this as smoothly as possible with the technology that's out there? Yeah. Um, you've got to understand all these little caveats and all these nuances with your data inputs and model selections. If you don't understand that, you, you, you're going to lead yourself down the wrong path. But mm-hmm. uh, Excel spreadsheets for me, I, I've 
never taken the plunge into the the great world that is R. Instead, I choose to push Excel to its limits and try and try and get the most I possibly can out of it. I'm the same, but I think of Excel is is a gateway drug to R. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In programming in general, so once you get there, like I, I've gone to YouTube about a hundred times now to look up how to do this Excel thing. I should probably just learn how to program. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, I, I I would typically use we like we we use Training Peaks most predominantly, and then I would pull data out and then plug it into Excel spreadsheets. Did enjoy WKO four in the fact that you you know you can write your own uh, expressions and and make your own graphs, which was a pretty cool feature. When we rolled over to WKO five, I stepped away from that stuff um, quite a bit. I think you could still program in WKO five, right, Damien? Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was more a time point in my career when I swapped over from sports science to coaching. Yeah, uh, and and I had the lovely help of Dr. Jamie Stanley. Oh, yep. Um, yep. To do a lot of that stuff for me. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's always the tricky thing is reading about all the papers and things like that, and having all these ideas, and even when you understand all the caveats, and then you get to a point where you're like, okay, now I'm gonna spend two hours with one athlete to bring all this data into whatever format that I'm going to do it in. Like, you know, the golden sheet is going to, especially new athletes, cleaning up all their data, all that type of stuff. And, you know, you get into an Excel spreadsheet type of thing. It's even going to, it's going to be even worse and more time consuming. So like, yeah, it's Mm. probably people who have full-time jobs in this world. It'd be hard to do it as a coach because you have a coaching role. The sports scientists would probably be easier to do because you don't have to deal with your athletes as much. You are just doing the sports science side of the stuff. So you're getting the data ready. You're doing the testing with the athlete, but you're not necessarily doing all the other stuff. Did you guys play with Golden Cheetah very much? I used it for my PhD for a little bit. So I used the interval finder, obviously. So (laughs) that's what I did my stuff on was intervals. And I've got the new version out that came out in November, I think. And so I've been meaning to start getting into that, but it, it's kind of one of these things I'm going back and forth between, um, do I want to use WKO5? Do I want to use Golden Cheetah? But yeah, let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Like the the big- The fun stuff. Yeah, the W prime balance. Well, what is it? What is W prime balance? And pro- probably for the listeners that do use the training piece stuff, that's they call it what DFRC, the dynamic functional- reserve capacity so w prime balance and that are analogous same thing but yeah go ahead right so i guess with the two parameter model when we talked critical power and w prime you know you talk about these single work bouts to exhaustion right so it's like oh just a two minute bout or just a four minute bout how much power could i do over that duration of time what the w prime balance model gets into is says okay so you did that bout and then you had two minutes rest and then i wanted you to try and do as much as you can again in four minutes, how much could you do then? And so I guess this model allows you to track the replenishment of this W prime. So say you emptied your bucket, had a bit of a rest, how much did your bucket fill up again? How much have you got to now to now spend and go again? It's just a really cool concept, I think. I probably don't need to use this analogy with with uh, this audience, but I always uh, imagine playing FIFA, like on the PlayStation, mm-hmm. and you're holding down the sprint button and you're trying to make your player run as fast as he can. And then all of a sudden he starts going slow and you're like, come on, mate, like Mm-mm. I'm holding this sprint button down. Why aren't you running faster? Um, but of course, if you let go for a little bit of time and then before you know it, boom, you can sprint again. So FIFA have had a working W prime balance model in, in their <laughs> games for, for years. That's totally what it is. Probably more accurate than 
Skibas and WKO5s. Imagine. Is there is Imagine. is there a, a, a Bartram adjustment for the FIFA? <laughs> yeah. That joke's getting ahead of ourselves now, but but yeah. Yeah. If we sell out at some stage, I'm, I'm happy to sell sell all my research to FIFA if they're listening. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> EA Sports. Yeah. Look me up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess all of this is a model, right? All these are models. And one of the things that they say about models is all models are wrong, just some are useful. And yep, yep. now my take home of the W prime balance is you're taking a lot of model values and sticking them into another model. And yeah, yeah. most of what I know about the W prime balance stuff is based off of Skiba's writings and one of his reviews that came out not too long ago. Kind of to his credit, him and David Clark, who both have these W prime balance uh, equations, came out and wrote a review criticizing their own work. That's awesome. That's good science, in my opinion. Yeah, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with your work, my understanding is, is it focused a lot on Skiba's model, his W prime balance, we call it integral model, because they have the balance ordinary differential equation model with David Clark. But yeah, let's go nuts. We've got two papers on this stuff. And it's all yep, in yep. high-level elite endurance athletes. So yeah, yeah. There's you have one that just came out, and then you have one that came out. I think 2018. Remember? Yep. Yeah. So I'm gonna sit yeah. back and listen to you now. I'll shut up. Finally. <laughs> the funny thing here, Jace, is like this data. Okay, the the publications have just come out, but it's it's actually really quite old work. You know, this is all data collected in 2014, 2015. It's just. Uh, when, when I took over the, the coaching, when I took on the coaching position at CA, a lot of this stuff fell to the wayside and, and yeah, I've only just recently come back to it to get it published. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the two Skiba models that are out there, um, probably the, there were some intermittent models that popped out, you know, a lot earlier on, but they, they never really took off and there was this huge gap in time and the gap in the literature and it was uh, Skiba and uh, Chidnock, who I haven't heard much from since, but they collaborated on a few research studies to kind of bring this back into the world. And and that's the integral equation that you talked about mm -hmm. and and what I would call Skiba 1, just because just it was a um, nice naming convention for me to use. And then then you get into the second model, which is the differential model, which I, which I call Skiba 2. And I have not read this uh, most recent review that you were referring to, so I'm really interested to see whether some of the things that I critiqued were the same kind of things that Skiba critiques and and kind of whether whether we're on the same page or um anyway yeah interested to yeah, read yeah. it but the two equations the first one the integral one again maths not being my strong point mm -hmm. it's a tricky yeah. one and it and it actually it tripped me over mm -hmm. to start with and it, it, i think it tripped a lot of people over because if you don't solve it in the correct way you actually get it completely wrong and i forget what the website is but maybe it's like cycling power labs or something like that there used to be a, a website that had some kind of handy excel little equations on there that you could go and have a play and, and they had the skiba model on in the first one but they'd done the maths wrong and, it, and so it wasn't quite right mm, yeah but anyway once once the differential model came along i was like yep right, let's jump into this. It's a, it's a lot easier to use. It segments the depletion and recovery portions as separately. So from the two-parameter model by itself, we understand W prime depletion. We're happy with that model and how it works. So let's tack on a separate part, which is the recovery of W prime. And that's what the Skiba 2 model does. But the Skiba 1 model 
tries to chunk it all in together in 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 one go and it actually breaks some of the kind of foundations of the original critical power model just in that mathematical approach but probably the the biggest thing with my research and versus skiba's research is just the population and so yeah. they use mostly you know like local uni students or just um volunteer participants and don't get me wrong they were always very open about the, the participants mm-hmm. they were using yep. and and Skiba even notes a few times through his papers that they might have every now and then they had one subject who maybe was slightly more high performance orientated in nature mm-hmm. and they kept saying that you know we're getting outliers whenever we do this whenever whenever yep. we use this person's data yep. so I guess that led to to my PhD the opportunity to use an elite cohort and to kind of explore the difference and and so, so when you go into the Skiba 2 model you start to look at well, it, both models, right? It's quite intuitive that the lower your recovery power, so you've done about, then you're going to spend some time at a recovery power and then you want to know how much recharge you've had, right? How much you've replenished. Yeah. I, if you don't mind, I think I'll, I'll just, I'll interject some of the model assumptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some, some of these model assumptions that are in this, and you did a really good job of explaining it, but I just want to make sure we hit on some of the things, some of the concepts just so it's just described in a different way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The assumptions that we have here are the W prime is depleted at intensities that are greater than critical power. That's one of the assumptions. And the other one is that W prime cannot reconstitute until it is below critical power again. And it doesn't reconstitute when it's above critical power. Now, physiologically, there's some kind of wiggle room and some wonky stuff that's going on there when you really get down into the physiological data that's coming out. But for the purpose of the model, that's what they're assuming. And this W prime reconstitutes itself faster at the lower the intensity that you are riding at during the quote unquote rest period or whatever. So these are actually, they fit very well with say like people intuitively, if you race crits or road racing or anything like that, right? You're trying to conserve your energy as much as possible. And so you're reconstituting this W prime during your race. Um, but yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. But, um, I'll let you, I'll let you carry on. No, that, that, that's bang on what I was, yeah, what I, what I was trying to describe. The, the biggest shift, I guess, from the older models to this one was that they used to think that W prime recharged in a linear fashion in response to time. But they're suggesting that it's a more curve, curvilinear in nature, yeah, which yeah. I, th- I think makes sense from a chemical kinetics perspective, and that that's what the Skiba two paper goes into quite well. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Des- describing what would be driving the physiology of W yeah. prime recovery. And so you saw the writing on the wall. You saw the population. I'm assuming that they were working with, and you're like, well, this would be really neat if we could start using this concept with track riders and riders in high performance. It just seems to make sense. But of course, it hasn't necessarily been utilized within that high performance population. Mm. This is where your research comes in and with those two papers. And so this is interesting where you kind of came out and your findings were, did it work or not? Uh, yeah. So, so as you would probably expect with the populations that were fed into the model, uh, our athletes were able to recover their W prime at the same relative intensity faster. So if if someone like myself was 50 watts below my critical power, I would recharge W prime at a certain rate. These elite athletes, if they were 50 watts below their critical power, they were recharging their W prime a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. 
And so what was your fix? What was your suggestion based on your data? Well, the way these models work, right, is that you can just change the time constant or how fast the model says that W prime recharges. So you can tweak that. You can tweak it for individuals. What the Skiba 2 model tried to do was not have this, I guess, extra thing that you had to try and solve or work out. Mm -hmm. So he tried to use W prime and critical power, tried to factor them together to describe uh, recharge rate. Again, didn't work with our elite athletes. It was it was a noble pursuit, but it, it didn't work for us. So instead, yeah, you just you can create a time constant to recovery power relationship. Uh, for in this case, we tried to do it for the cohort. So we're like, okay, these are uh, elite male track cyclists. Hopefully, they all respond pretty similarly. But it, yeah, if you spoil the story at, at the end, I guess it's that even then it was still pretty variable. And there's there's a case that maybe we need to describe recovery kinetics individually uh, in the same way that everyone has a unique CPW prime. The recovery rate could also be individualized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is gets into like the better you want to describe the physiology, the more complicated and more inputs you need. Yeah. And so some of the questions I had around this for you while I was reading this paper and then reading Skiba's paper as well was, all right, what's the top secret stuff going on here? Like, did you get to that point where you're starting to play around with this number with individuals for one? And then two, what do you think would be the best parameter, maybe like VO2 max or VO2 kinetics or something physiological or maybe power related or something like that, that you could tease out that you might hang your hat on to find this individualized time constant for endurance athletes? Look, I guess as you said at the start, you talked about this model being like uh, parameter on parameter on model on parameter. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when, we, when we are looking at this W prime balance game, the error propagation is phenomenal. Like you get an error on your first variable, then you plug it into somewhere else, you get some more error, you get some more error. So when we talk here, I guess I just wanted to say that up front because you know, we, can, we can dream and think here, but there's so many different things that could have gone wrong along the way that that could actually steer us down different paths. The top secret stuff. No, like, like as I said before, this stuff's cool. And when you talk about it in theory and in concept and on paper, it looks really good and you're like, wow, this could be really useful. But it was so variable that it, it hasn't really had great utility. Um, other, yeah, I, I can talk around the benefits of doing the PhD in general have had on me and, and, <laughs> and how, uh, how I've changed as a practitioner. But in terms of the actual model itself, too variable, too variable. The dream was there's a paper by a guy called Wagner and it was actually, it was done with, with CA before I got there, Cycling Australia and Adelaide University. And he's a, a mathematician and it was this model that tried to iterate through to predict team pursuit outputs so it kind of said okay you've got four athletes they come in with these physiological uh, capabilities tell us what the best time they could ride a team pursuit in and how would that happen what contributions would they do on the front and the weak part of that model was the the physiological inputs Mm-hmm. They didn't use the critical power model. I can't even remember exactly what they used, but it, it wasn't fantastic, right? So that was the letdown. Mm-hmm. But it was this concept that if we can take this model, get it working well for our cohort and plug it in, then we can start to come up with some crazy solutions of are we getting the most out of our team when we line up for a team pursuit? Are, are we getting everyone's W prime balance to zero by the end of that race? Like, uh, yeah. 
and 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 what's the best way to do that but the model in in its current state and where it got to it didn't overtake the capabilities of of humans and coaches to work that out themselves you know through trial and error yeah that's yeah. crazy <laughs> it's just like when you when you tell your athletes you know it's 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 not you can't be focused on the race can't be focused on the research results, right? You got to yeah. enjoy the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But similar to Apollo's PhD, like your PhD has probably been really cool to do with those working in that field, with those athletes, yeah. just having that experience. So um, I'll say it for you as well, you know, dream PhD there for anyone that's a physiologist or sports scientist and interested in cycling. Mm. So Pro- Probably the, the most frustrating part is the rigor, I guess the scientific rigor, the parts where in this field working with the elite athletes there's always these little shortcuts you've got to take or these little kind of things that you can't do perfectly and it does compromise the research in some way but you just got to find a balance between the two obviously yeah yeah now that we've totally demolished the validity of this model (laughs) (laughs) uh, um let's talk about practical applications for it for sure and i just listed down some potential yep yep applications and just kind of get your thoughts on it some of it obviously we already have but one was interval analysis this is, seems to be one of the things wko5 is using it for but to be fair to them they're very similar in what you were saying you have to have that big caveat like and you have to have the model being fed perfectly and everything like that and yep. there it seems to me like their biggest thing is just making sure that the W prime balance never goes negative because if it goes negative, then that tells you that your model is off somewhere and you need to do some testing or, or whatever to yeah. improve it. But like, or that you've PB'd, right? It could be an exciting concept. It's like, oh, rather than I've I've hit a new a new four minute MMP, which is what we'd be bound by by the original model. Mm-hmm. If you're using this intermittent model, potentially an intermittent work bout can actually give you a PB as well. Nice. So you're you think you could use this to predict PBs or uh yeah yeah i mean look it's it's in theory and concept it, it would be really cool right to to not have to do a time trial to be able to go out and do a race a crit and not not use normalized power but instead watch your w prime balance and if you can get w prime balance into a negative value then that would suggest that one of your parameters has has increased um i guess the, the trick there being you don't necessarily know whether you've improved critical power w prime or your models off and the parameters are off yeah yeah or the whole thing's a joke yeah, and yeah yeah, yeah. Did, yeah did you win yeah. the race or was this all for eighth place <laughs> i just want to add to interval analysis and just say i i use yep. it as a quick and dirty proxy for effort just across a set of intervals i'm really interested there damien like what kind of percentage do you expect them to get down to like in terms of a w prime balance i have markers on the chart at like 75 percent, 50 percent, and 25 percent. and again it's that thing of is the model working is everything up to date but i would be looking at 50 percent, depending on the length uh, if we're talking sort of four or five minute efforts, then I'll be looking at 50%. But it's not hard and fast. It's generally comparing within session how their effort is changing. But uh, I don't have a hard and fast rule of where I, yeah, yeah. I'd expect yeah. them to get to. But that that probably would be yeah, something interesting yeah. to, to consider though. Um, so we talked about pursuit on the track. And what's kind of funny is that speaking from your experience and listening to one of the WKO5 kind of workshop uh, webinars that they have up on YouTube on the topic, just to kind of see what they're doing around this whole thing. Someone asked a question about pursuit on the track and they didn't really hesitate. Yep. 
you can do it with that. Yeah. And you can, again, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah. Yeah. You can, again, they started out with the caveats of like how accurate it was and how long they like were kind of pushing off to actually build this model in their, in their software. But then, you know, someone asked, can we do like four man pursuit modeling? Yep. They're probably the best practical point that I kind of talk about in the discussion of the paper is around race planning. So like when coaches put together a race plan for a team pursuit, usually it, it's not always hard and fast, right? Things happen in racing and it doesn't always get followed to the T. But generally, you're within half a lap contribution in terms of if I say you're going to do four laps total on the front, you're generally going to be somewhere between three and a half and four and a half. And so then when you look at the the energy cost of doing an extra half lap on the front or a half a lap less, it kind of overflows with where that error was. And so in my mind, that suggests that a coach is still superior to this W prime balance model in terms of um, working out what an athlete can bring on, on any given day. Just a broad way of describing what I've brought up before. One of the coolest approaches that I'd love to see someone do, and we'll put this out into the world and we'll see who gets it done. Mm-hmm. Think about a time in zones analysis, right? Typical yeah. time on your y-axis, however many zones you're running down the bottom. Now add a third dimension to, to this graph, add a, add a z-axis. And that z-axis is going to be your W prime balance like at any point in time. And so what you'll get is you end up, say you've got five zones, you'll then start to label them as like 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. And so what you'll end up plotting is you'll say, okay, we spent this much time in 5.1, which is I was working at the intensity rate of zone five and my W prime balance was in above 75% or above 60%, right? It was in the top end. So I was still pretty fresh for that. Then you go 5.2 is times when you're working at five but your W prime depletion is kind of like halfway. And then 5.3 is like you were working in zone five and you were super depleted. By plotting that, it gives you this extra layer to your interval analysis that a standard time in zone chart doesn't do. So, so mm. the one I always love is like, okay, you do five four-minute efforts. You do them with one hour between every recovery and I'll do them with like 30 seconds between every recovery. And there's no way they're giving you the same stimulus. But on a time in zones chart, you'd get the same result. Yeah. Whereas this would, would actually differentiate it. I just have a couple of things to ask from my curiosity. And, and one is like across all of the different Cycling Australia sort of programs, is this stuff penetrating? Are people using this? We've come to the point where there's no direct use of a lot of this stuff. But there's thinking behind it. There's a lot of things that you can take away from it. Mm. Um, but I'm just interested in how it is being used in Cycling Australia. Uh, yep, it's becoming more common language, I guess. It's, it's a language framework that most people could use to have a discussion mm-hmm. these days. Uh, that That's probably the extent to it. Um, in terms of in the Australian sporting system, there's a lot of a lot of chit chat around, I guess, kind of our national testing protocols and critical power being thrown up as a potential a potential avenue. And if we were to go down that avenue on a national testing level, what constraints would we have to put around it and what what methodology would would we employ? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'd say I mean, cycling Australia is not maybe not as 
big or as broad as you think it is, you know, especially in the last the last block where we were just so track centric. I mean, yeah, what have you got? You've got uh, Eric working with the BMX and the road crew, and then you've got um, myself and Jamie. I guess in, in, in Adelaide, working with the track guys. So it, it was a language that definitely proliferate, proliferated all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but FTP is still the thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we don't use FTP. Uh, we do, do a little bit of LT2, mm-hmm. which is a little, little bit of a hangover of uh, some of our older, more system-wide training methods. Yeah. And there's no road programs to talk about, so. <laughs> no, no, no. but. You know, like like I've had email exchanges with Quaddy, interested in exploring this and, and seeing how it could be used potentially in uh, team time trial situations or in, in, I guess, analyzing sprints. So like, you know, trying to get someone through a lead out to the end with as much W prime as possible and kind of how they expend it as they're jumping on wheels and, and surfing their way to the, to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Hey, Damien here. We will get into JB's conclusions and final thoughts on critical power, etc. after this. But first, I want to ask a favour. We, Jason, Cyrus and myself, want to help you make the most out of your cycling performance in 2022. And to do this, we would love for you to fill out our annual listener survey. You can find the link in the show notes and it will only take a couple of minutes to get through but we'll make it much easier for us to get right to the heart of your performance problems and make sure your 22 is a great cycling year for you. So please check it out. In fact, you could even pause right now and get it done. I'll wait. There's also a small gift waiting for you at the end. Thank you. And now back to the show. The biggest thing for me, right, and that this is the same thing I presented at the Applied Physiology Conference, was the overarching framework of describing limitations to human performance that the critical power model provides for me. That was the biggest benefit in terms of Mm -hmm. how it enabled me to think about human performance. Yes, so we know, okay, two to 15 minute range, that's kind of where this model is strongest. As you raised earlier, when you put in something like heat, what does that do? When you put in something like hypoxia, so we go up and do an attitude camp, what does that do? And I personally feel like I could explain using the critical power model, I could explain to you what those things do. And on a real basic level, I just shift CP down accordingly, right? I'd keep W prime fixed and I'd say, depending on what what attitude we're at, I'm going to end enough time to acclimatize to that attitude. Yeah, I'd shift CP. Then the other framework is like, okay, sub two minutes or like in that kind of shorter domain, like what's going on there? And I think you can build something like the anaerobic speed reserve model or anaerobic power reserve model. You can build it on top of the critical power model. They don't have to contradict each other or clash. So all of a sudden you've got this model that can describe that kind of top end. You've got this model that can describe the middle bit and you can understand how heat and hypoxia and cadence and things like that can impact it. And then down the other end, you can start to, to look into what happens at longer durations of time, whether it's mental fatigue, whether it's fueling constraints or yeah, just general changes to, to efficiency. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it just builds this whole model the way we can have conversations and move forwards together. Conclusions, thin rainy conclusions down. On critical power, W prime, W prime balance. Give me a, a conclusion for each. What's your thought, Jason? Critical power, W prime and W prime balance, in my mind, all of these concepts 
they build up a really nice framework that can be used to discuss human performance capabilities as a product of time. They're not perfect. There's there's plenty of mistakes in there. We know human physiology is more complex than these models make it out to be, but it can be really good for conversations with athletes, with coaches, with staff. Um, and I think the fact that it's a scalable model is one of the biggest biggest strengths. Thank you to JB for coming on. I am certainly wiser and better off for listening to the two Jasons cover Critical Power, and I hope you are as well. Thanks again to JB for coming onto the show. You can find Jason on Twitter at Jason C. Bartram. And to wrap up here, please help us by filling out the survey mentioned earlier on the show. It will really help us make episodes that will help your performance or at a bare minimum, make those endurance rides a little more bearable. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes of this episode. Thanks. Thanks.